just letting your ears follow the sound of the bell. Welcome, 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 welcome. Just allow yourself to be welcomed into this moment. Welcomed in your seat. Welcomed into this room. Just welcome and at home in your own body. Welcome. Slowly, gently, we give our joints permission to become loose. We give our muscles permission to become soft. Like a house that adjusts until it's firmly in its foundation. We loosen and soften until we feel truly comfortable in our place. Giving ourselves permission to arrive.
Breathing in, we gather up all that the morning has had to offer us. All of the thoughts, all of the movements, all of the memories, all of the plans, all of the emotions. Breathing in, we gather all of those things up and breathing out, we gently, gently let them go. And let's begin with kindness. What's something nice you could say to yourself right now? What are some kind words that you could offer to yourself right now? Let them arise without any force. Depending on how you're feeling, what are the words that you would need to hear to make your morning, to make your day as good as it could be? And say those words to yourself. Take a moment to just let your mind scan over itself and scan over the body. And notice if there are any places mentally, emotionally, physically, where you're experiencing any kind of suffering, where it just doesn't feel good. And send some love, send some affection to those places that are uncomfortable right now. If there are any. The same way that you would send love 
to a child that's inconsolable. The same way that you would encourage a friend having a very difficult time. Send that energy, send that love, send that affection to yourself wherever there's pain, wherever there's discomfort. And I invite you now to scan the mind and body once again, this time looking for places where everything is generally okay or where things are great. Where is there not pain? Where is there not suffering? wherever things are just fine or better than fine, can just let a sense of gratitude arise. There's always room for kindness and gratitude in our lives. We can always show ourselves these two things. For the next few moments, let's just sit in silence in the energy of kindness and gratitude as much as we can. Wherever there's pain, let there be kindness. Wherever there's no pain, let there be gratitude.
one more time, say something nice to yourself. And let yourself receive those words, those sentiments. And gently begin to become aware of your breathing. And just let the mind notice the breath wherever it feels most natural. At the nostrils, in the chest, at the mouth, or in the belly. And wherever the mind notices the breath, <clears throat> just let it rest there and let everything else fall away except breathing in and breathing out. Just letting your body breathe naturally. with a little bit of curiosity what it's like to be breathing. If the mind wanders off, it's no problem at all. We just notice that the mind has drifted a little bit. Gently, gently come back to the breath, landing on the breath, resting there, and letting everything else drop away. Relaxing the body a little bit more with every out-breath. Every time we breathe out, letting the joints loosen and the muscles soften. Letting the belly hang. And bringing our attention back to the breath.
if you find the breath a little difficult to follow. Alternately, you can just open your ears to whatever sounds are present or not present in the room. Just letting your mind rest on sound and letting everything else fall away. Watching sound with the same type of curiosity. Wherever it's most comfortable for you, breath or sound, let the mind land there and relax. If the mind begins to wander, all we have to do is notice and gently come back to whatever our anchor is, breath or sound.
in these last few moments. Let's take a moment to appreciate our brains. Just taking a moment to say thank you to the brain. Taking a moment to appreciate the lungs. To say thank you to the lungs. Taking a moment to appreciate the belly, the stomach, intestines. To say thank you to them. Taking a moment to say thank you to all of our organs, kidney, liver, spleen. Taking a moment to say thank you to all of our bones. Taking a moment to say thank you to all of the muscles. Taking a moment to say thank you to the blood in our veins. Even taking a moment to say thank you to the waste inside of us. Taking a moment to say thank you to this mind. Taking a moment to appreciate this entire mind and entire body. Our minds and bodies might be imperfect in our eyes, but they are magnificent and worthy of our appreciation. If you had one wish for yourself, what would that wish be? And if you had one wish for the world, what would that wish be? May you always be well. May you always be happy. May you always be peaceful. And may all your wishes come true. Oh, no.
clear day. Take a look around you and you'll see who, just who you are. On a clear day, how it will astound you that the glow of your being outshines every star and you feel part of every mountain, sea, and shore. You can hear from far and near a world you've never heard before on a clear day. On that clear, clear day, you can see forever more. So, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. As somebody who used to sit all by himself, I never, I never really gave too much credence to. Um, the power of sitting together as a sangha, as a group. And gosh, it really is so powerful when we sit together. When we support each other in a silent way. Some Miles Davis album title. But yeah, we support each other in this in this way that's unspoken. And I think it's really special. And for this retreat's theme to be about friendship. Um, I just, I just think it's awesome. So I didn't have anything overtly prepared for our talk today, but I just want to share with you what's been up for me in my practice recently. This was one of my more enjoyable sits, but I don't tend to have enjoyable sits. I've been doing this for a long time and it has not been fun for most of it. For about 99.9% of my sitting practice and just my practice of trying to be aware of myself, 
has been extraordinarily unpleasant. Which is why I thought that it'd be a good idea to work with young people so that by the time they came to a certain age in their lives, they'd already have resources to rely on. I didn't start practicing until I was in my 20s and I already developed so many ideas about myself and so many things had happened to me that I remembered and didn't remember. And it would just, and it made, it made me a very anxious person. I started a family very young. I was, we were, uh, my wife and I were still in college when we had the first one, when we had Sundara. Interestingly, I met Ayasobhana uh, at Bhavana Society, she gave Sundara, my oldest one, her first children's Dharma book. And then fast forward to us being here together. It's pretty interesting. But that time of, of starting a new family and just graduating from school, starting my music career, it was a lot. And then wanting to embark headlong into a meditation practice because I had caught the Buddha fever by that time. Mm, I really overdid it. <laughs> I can't help but overdo it. Y'all see me running up and down that hill. Just it's just in my nature. But it also creates this undercurrent of anxiety. I'm pretty much anxious all the time. I'm usually <laughs> Being a performer helps me to mitigate against that because then I can have some escape from being in my own head and I can have some control of what's happening around me. But left to my own ruminations, it's not pleasant at all. And I thought that I would just have to just suffer with this mind and with this way of being I'd have to suffer with the irony of being a Dharma teacher who just couldn't ever get comfortable. And because um, I know all of this works and I've had what the Tibetans call a flash of lightning in the dark. I know it's all real. I can conceptualize all of it and it all makes sense. But I was at the IMS teen retreat and I was sitting down and I was having a terrible old time because I've experienced my anxiety physically. It just, it's so once it arises, it's just, just on you, like just claws. Just, yeah. And then those claws just giving you a claw massage. It's like, and then everywhere you turn, they tear you more and more. That just, it just, it sucks. It really does. Um, and I just gave up. I had no, I could not move anymore. I couldn't rationalize it anymore. I couldn't, I had no more defenses. And so I just said, it's okay, baby. I love you. You don't have to go anywhere. You can just sit here with me and I'll hold you. I love you. 
and it just went wonk down one notch. <laughs> and I was like, what? Just that one notch would have been enough. I could have just, I could have just told you, I just rode on that one less notch forever. And I just tried it again. I love you. Wonk down one more notch. I was like, screw all of this breath and listening stuff. I am just staying with I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. And I just just flooded myself with I love you. I that I just realized that the anxiety that I was experiencing, it comes from places that I don't remember anymore. Things that people, things that I experienced when I was young, when I was a kid, stuff that, I don't know, being teased and not being good enough to a parent or to just all that stuff, all the things that you build in your mind before you become aware of your own mind. And that, that anxiety was as irrational as an infant. In the same way that when an infant cries out and it's inconsolable, and the only thing that you can really do is just hold it and say, it's okay. If everything's going to be okay, I love you. Oh, oh, it's okay, baby. That was my only response after everything that I had tried. Just holding and being with the serious pain that I was in. It really worked. And I can, and I have these mental remedies for my mental issues. And I'll just throw them at whatever the problem is and hope it sticks. And since for however long I can remember, it'll it'll work for a little bit because the mind just likes new things. So it's like, oh, you have this new remedy for your anguish. Let's just okay, that's fine. I'll calm down because I like this new thing. It's cool. Let's, let's, and then it'll get bored with it. It'll just be right. And I'm, I have about a shelf life for about five days <laughs> of my new remedy working. And then my mind will be like, oh, oh, that old thing. Oh, 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 the emptiness of it all. Oh yeah, no, I'm no, I'm totally over it. And be right back in that unpleasant place. But this whole affection towards myself thing, it didn't expire after five days. The key was not pushing away what I was experiencing, not telling it that it had to go, but just saying, okay, well, you can stay. I have no other response but to love you. And it, it's grown into these new and interesting ways. Walking into the CVS, oh, just going, <clears throat> just going to get food. Going to, uh, going to the grocery store. Just abject anxiety. Will it be the chicken? Will it be the broccoli? Will it be baked? Will it be fried? Oh my God. And just be like, hey man, 
this is not a life or death situation. <laughs> Just relax. You don't have to hold on so tight. So by having this relationship with my anxiety in my meditation practice, I really started to see it, how it's the literal undercurrent of my entire existence. I can't even go grocery shopping without being in a full-blown anxiety attack. It's just subtle. I can maneuver it because I've learned to live with it. But it's there. And I've become so much more aware of it by by allowing it to stay. So I was like, okay, well, (laughs) if I'm here with you, well, then, yeah, let's go shopping. (laughs) God. You know, and then... and. so then I, then this internal dialogue begins of friendliness towards myself. Hey man, it's okay. It does not require this level of grab. You can loosen up. This is not the end of the world. Just having conversations with myself, <clears throat> but friendly ones. Speaking to myself kindly. All of this seems very basic. But I would wager that we don't speak very kindly to ourselves as a rule. That we allow that other voice to have more reign over our minds than we let the kind voice have. I can look people in the eye more easily when I'm kind to myself. Y'all see me in the courtyard, I can't even do it with my eyes open. It's hard for me to be on stage with my eyes open. But when I give myself just that atmosphere of kindness, I can be in my body more fully. I can look at people a little bit easier. Conversations are not agony but something really interesting and peculiar and kind of awesome. I'm just more in the world in in the way that I always wanted to be. And, you know, if I let that dialogue slip, if I let that relationship with myself slip, then my old friend starts to take over. And it might take me a few days to recover. But if I just keep at kindness towards myself, I balance out again. And I'm just not in that bad place. And I've been teaching this for so long. And there's something... And I stuck with it. And then just one day, it just broke. And so I just want to tell you that I think that it all begins with being kind to yourself. That it all begins with raising that voice of kindness internally. Saying those, no, we can't just wish for those kind words to arrive from somebody, from TV, from our spouse or from our kids. We have to take control of the kindness that we can control.
and we can control the way that we're kind to ourselves. Just close your eyes for one moment. Say your name to yourself and say, I love you after it. And if it's awkward the first time, damn it, say it again. Say your name and say, I love you right after it. One more time, say your name, say, I love you. I really love you. I really care about you. I care whether you live or die. I care whether you're healthy or not healthy. I care what happens to you. I love you. You're important to me. That's why metta begins with yourself. I thought it was just this abstract thing. This, this path, this Buddhist path, it is just, it's so old and it's so, it's just so old that it just translates so dry. But it's fleshy and it's alive. It's full of tears and it's full of blood and it's full of meaning. It's really, really alive. And to, to start with metta with yourself, my teacher, Bhante Buddha Rakita, said, you can't really do this if you're, if you're not at least a little bit happy. It's so easy, so intuitive for just for us to turn the lamp of kindness onto everybody else. But the Buddha's way is completely counterintuitive because if we were going by what was intuitive, we would be completely happy already. The Buddha's way is against the stream. What's the non-obvious thing to do? Look in the mirror and say, I love you. <clears throat> that doesn't come naturally to us. Maybe for some of you, and if, if so, thank, thank, that's amazing. But it doesn't come naturally to me. I look in the mirror and I'm just finding all the things that are wrong. Not just a blanket, I love you. You look at your children and you just love them, period. You can freely give that love out, but you don't turn it on yourself as often as you should. And I just want you to so badly because it's the thing that I can tell you that I've experienced for myself and it's real. And that's where it starts. Another thing I'd like to share is the power of I don't have to let this have power over me. Ajahn Chah used to say, Ajahn Chah, if you don't know, is this um, uh, very famous monk from Thailand. I have a, I have a tattoo of him, an interesting, somewhat poorly drawn tattoo of him, um, or poorly executed. Don't let your friends do your tattoos. <laughs> I drew him just fine. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, um, anytime you have a thought that arises in your meditation, just greet it with, that's none of my business, and, and continue <laughs> on. It's in your own mind, bro. It's none of your business. Yeah, it's really it's none of my business. 
his mind, you, it's the, the, it, we don't have too much control over the spontaneity of our mind. As much as we want to, we really don't. And my, and one of my co-teachers, and sometimes a co-teacher, sometimes a teacher, my friend, uh, Chaz DeCapua at, uh, at IMS, he has a way of just making a lot of this path very, very simple. And I think a variation on the theme of that's none of my business is I don't have to let this have power over me. In the wheel of dependent origination, there's this section about what happens when we come in contact with anything. And it's depicted as there was, there's an arrow in your eye. Meaning that contact with anything, with our thoughts, with anything, is just so compelling that it makes us want to do something. So the contact that we have with our own thoughts compels us to want to act. Oh, I had this thought, so I have to do something about it. Oh, I have this emotion, I have to do something about it. I feel angry, I have to do something about it. Oh, I thought about this, I have to call that person or do something about it. You really don't. You really, you absolutely, says who? Seriously, says who? Says that thought? Where is that thought now? That motherfucker is gone. (laughs) It left the moment it came. And you're just grabbing the the chemtrail of it. Like, oh, what should I do? Nothing. Gosh, it was so profound. I don't have, Chaz was saying, oh, I, you know, I just hate walking meditation. And so I was like, oh my God, heaven forfend. He's like, oh, I hate walking meditation. And just one day I just said to myself, I don't have to let this hatred of walking meditation have power over my walk. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean that walking isn't useful. So I don't have to let it have power over me. Man, let me tell y'all, the power in, I don't have to let this have power over me, is so profound that you will forget it. just try your best to remember it whenever you're caught up in the throes of some difficult mental episode I don't have to let this have power over me and then your space will just grow you'll just automatically the thing I loved about Vipassana is that by observing, I'm bigger than the thing. Like, oh, I can look at it, so I'm not it. But sometimes you need a little extra encouragement, especially if it's grabbing you and twisting you. Just say, I don't have to let this have power over me. And just continue on. It's so liberating. It's such an awesome way to be a friend to yourself. And that's, I mean, honestly, the message that I feel that I'm supposed to be delivering is to be nice to yourself. It will have exponential effects. You never met a person who had a good relationship with themselves that had terrible relationships with other people. Being nice to yourself is really the beginning of wisdom because the problems that we have, they come from unknown causes and conditions. 
it says, I don't know why this baby's crying. I fed it. I changed it. I talcumed it, whatever. I did everything that I could. It's still crying. So I got no, I got no other response except love. Because right? in, in Zen, you say we have don't know mind. And sometimes you just don't know. But you can have a response, and that response can be love. So please be nice to yourself. Please hold those places that hurt so bad. Hold them like a little child and coo to it and tell it it'll be okay. Just send big waves of love to yourself anytime you remember to. And pat yourself on the back when you've done something good. And the more love that you have inside, the more it just naturally spills over. The idea of non-self happens naturally when we've got enough love to give. When we don't have enough love to give, it's all about how to fix this self. But when we've built up a huge storehouse of love and our self bubble pops because there's so much love there that's just spilling over to everything else, then we've figured it out. Buddha said you can become enlightened just off metta alone. I used to be like, man, if you don't get out of here with that nonsense. I want the experience of emptiness and all that heady stuff. Imagine my surprise when it's really just about love. The whole practice of sitting to meditate is being friend to yourself. You're getting to know yourself the way you'd get to know a friend. And when you see that that friend is aching in some way, you offer them some affection and you offer that to yourself as well. So please just try it out. And I hope it works out for you the way that it's been working out for me. And if no one told you today, I love you all very much. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be kind to yourself. Okay, that's awesome. So if anybody has any questions or comments or observations or anything, we have like five minutes. Yes. Yeah, yo, thank you for saying so. I did want to say that 
there is something about sticking with a thing that you know is that you know is good for you, even if even if you don't know if it's working. <laughs> so yeah, I'm happy that I stuck with my practice. I really, really am. If I would have given up, I would have never figured this this piece of it out. And if this is the only thing I ever figure out, it would have totally been worth it. There was a hand. I feel you. Oh, so you know, so what, so I practiced, I had, I had, I was caught in a traffic jam of impulses where I really wanted to be a monastic and I also was a father at that time. And so I, and I had just, so I was just like, well, what do I do? So I was like, I know, I'll do my best to be as monk-like as possible in my, and while still being a householder. Yeah, big fail. So um, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd at this, this, in the first leg, in the first seven-year leg of my practice, I'd wake up, I'd go out into the woods and sit and meditate in the morning, scare a whole lot of dogs and joggers. And, um, and then at lunch, we had, I was working at this, uh, at this, patent law firm and across the street was a cemetery and I'd go and sit in the cemetery at lunch and just try to scare meditate myself and then I'd come home and I'd sit some more and just and the whole t- and any time and the whole time it was just like I'll just you're not ha- I'm not having any fun doing this this is not but uh. so then just having pushed myself to the point of breaking I was just like I'm not sitting I'm just going to cut this out. If this stuff works, it, it, sh- it should work under any circumstances. So I just stopped sitting. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know if that's like legal to say here. but I, um, I just completely stopped sitting for, for a while, for maybe three years. I didn't sit at all, but I didn't stop practicing. I just brought my practice into everything. That was my challenge to the practice. Like, if you really work... I should be able to bring you into every single activity of mine. So walking meditation, just short distances, walk, just chasing after kids and, you know, just being present with washing the dishes, being present, um, just noticing my breathing at any given time, just having this sort of fluid relationship with mindfulness made me fall in love with it again. And gradually, I came back to sitting, but nowhere near the level of intensity that I was sitting at before. Um, I, I, there's the story of uh, of uh, the Buddha's cousin Ananda. Um, he was he had been around the Buddha his whole entire life, and had and became, attended to the Buddha so much so that he hadn't practiced enough for himself. And so they were having this like big supernatural monks club meeting at the, after, after the passing of the Buddha, the first Buddhist council. And all his friends had, uh, had gotten into this club, the enlightened monks club, except for him. And he was super embarrassed because he was like, I've been with this guy my whole life and I'm not even in the club. And so he was pacing back and forth in his room, 
like kind of like, well, what do I do? And as he started to pace, he started to pay attention to his steps and became, and legend goes, became enlightened, pacing back and forth. So I always think about the story of Ananda where he didn't need sitting to become enlightened. So um, I would say that the practice is transcendent. It works under any circumstances. So um, if sitting really sucks for you, uh, you know, put it in, put it in motion. Yeah. Did you, yes, Miss Betsy Rose. Absolutely. I do want to concur that, yeah, that uh, getting the fundamentals down are really important. So putting in the time and putting in the effort to experience the fundamentals, to experience what really works for you and what doesn't, um, I think is paramount. And, um, and gradually letting your practice evolve from there is, uh, is, is important. Sound. Sound seems like 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 the uh, the the like the kitty park practice for me at least. It was like sound. I want the breath. The sound is so awesome and it's so light and so easy. At least for me, just opening your ears to sound at any time. That's my little formula: <laughs> feet on the ground, air in my lungs, sounds all around. I am enough. Sound is a fantastic way to drop into the present moment. And to just allow what is happening to happen. Sound's one of those things that you can't uh, mess with unless you're adding sound into the mix. But it's not one of those things you can contrive or make up or imagine. Can't, can't take control over it. So surrendering to sound is a great, great way to practice anytime you recognize it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.